Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, as we know, the Bible contains four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four accounts of the life and times of Jesus Christ while he walked and lived upon the earth. And each account tells the life of Jesus, right, from a slightly different perspective, highlighting some events in his life and perhaps leaving out others. No one gospel, no one of the gospels covers everything or gives us a full view of Jesus as God would have desired us to have. And therefore, God has given us four gospels, four views on the life of Christ. And knowing this, there are few events, beloved, believe it or not, there are few events that appear in all four of the Gospels. In fact, of the seven signs, the seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John, only one appear in the other three Gospels. Guess which one that is? You guessed it, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus feeding the 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee appears and is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Apparently, this was a meal to remember. Apparently, it was a feast not to be forgotten. 
Understandably, the miracles of, of Jesus held an important place in the mind and the mission of the early disciples. And this one in particular. But this was a popular miracle being told and retold again and again in all of the four Gospels. And by doing so, it kind of gives us, at least it should, I think it should, give us some insight, right, into the importance and the authenticity and the lasting impact that this miracle had upon the early disciples. This was Jesus' most public miracle. And no doubt, his most memorable one, beloved. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Anyone and everyone talking about the life of Jesus after Jesus had gone, would always mention the day where over 5,000 people enjoyed a feast, an impromptu feast by the sea. And I'm convinced, beloved, I'm convinced that, that as the years went on, that, that a greater number of people would say, oh yeah, I remember that. I was there. See, you couldn't count how many people were actually there, and so anybody could claim that they were there. And there's no doubt, as the years went on, more and more people would go, oh yeah, I remember that. In fact, I was there. I wasn't there. I didn't get invited to the wedding where he turned the water into wine. I wasn't there. I wasn't there in that portion of the temple when Jesus told the lame man to walk. I wasn't there. I wasn't there on the boat with the other 12 disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I didn't go to the funeral where Jesus called forth his friend Lazarus from the grave. I wasn't there. I wasn't a member of the inner circle. I didn't walk and talk and converse with Peter, James, and John. I wasn't on the Mount of Configuration, but I was there by the sea. I was there. I was among the number that Jesus fed that day. I can tell you for assurance that I shared a meal with Jesus. That Jesus fed me. Listen, beloved. If I could have been present at any of the miracles of Jesus outside of the resurrection, I would have wanted to be there by the sea when over 5,000 people were eating and laughing and singing and dancing. A picnic of all picnics 
reunion of all reunions. A meal to remember. Jesus, the Bible says, as chapter 6 opens, is getting away on a brief mountain retreat with his disciples. Now, Jesus did not spend much time in Galilee, but the people in Galilee were familiar with his family, and the people in Galilee were now becoming more and more familiar with his ministry, his miracles, and his teaching. And Jesus' popularity was beginning to spread. It was beginning to grow. And, and everywhere he went, the people were following him. And when they got news that he was in the area, they would go and they would go. And everywhere he went, the crowds, once they noticed, began to grow. Even when he went on retreat, apparently. And as Jesus and his disciples reached their mountaintop destination, the Bible tells us that they looked out and they saw this throng of people, thousands and thousands of men and women and children gathering and making their way around the lake. And they're coming toward Jesus. They're coming to see there truly is a, a prophet from God in the land. They're coming to see if the hope of Israel has finally come. They're, they're coming to see if the one promised to sit on David's throne has finally arrived. They're coming to see the prophet. They're coming to see the king. Thousands and thousands. Seeing the large crowd coming his way, Jesus seized upon the opportunity to do what he always did, and that is to illustrate and demonstrate to his disciples the power and the presence and the purpose of the kingdom of God. Listen, beloved. Wherever Jesus went and whatever Jesus did and whatever Jesus said, it was for the purpose of revealing the nature of the kingdom of God. From the Beatitudes to the parables to the miracles, Jesus was always revealing the kingdom. It's what he said in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. And all of his days was but a revelation of the nature of the kingdom of 
God. And up on that mountain retreat with his disciples, he looks out over the crowd and he determines once again to teach his disciples what the kingdom of God is like. What life in the kingdom is now and what life in the kingdom shall be. And he gives them a kingdom lesson by serving them a kingdom lunch and having kingdom lessons. begins by teaching a kingdom lesson this morning. When our Lord sat down with his disciples up on that mountain retreat, there is no doubt that what he sat down to do was to talk to them about the kingdom. He always did. He always did. This was going to be no different. He was going to talk to them about the kingdom. But with the crowd approaching, now he was not just going to talk to them about the kingdom. He was going to show them the kingdom. Because a picture is worth a thousand words. Notice what he says in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, Turn to Philip, and he said, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And notice what it says in verse 6. He asked this to teach him a lesson. He asked this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. It's kingdom lesson time. Philip, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Now, if I'm Philip, the first thing that I'm probably thinking is, well, Lord, I didn't know we were going to feed them. When did we decide to feed all these people? Here's the point, beloved. Jesus didn't ask the question to get information. God never does. God doesn't ask questions to get information. When Adam and Eve sinned in, in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, God came, the Bible says, in the cool of the garden, and he asked the question, Adam, where are you? He, didn't, he, he, he wasn't trying to get information. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2, when, when Moses was fearful of going before Pharaoh and God had called him, God looked at Moses in chapter 4 and verse 2 and said, Moses, what's that in your hand? He's not asking questions to get information. In Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 3, he asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And up on top of that mountain by the Sea of Galilee, 
Jesus turns to Philip and says, Philip, where will we get food for all these people? Listen, beloved. Jesus is not looking for information from Philip. He was teaching a lesson. He wanted to hear Philip's faith. He wanted to see if Philip has been paying attention. He wanted to see and show Philip how much Philip has grown, if he's grown at all. And notice Philip's answer. Philip answered him, for 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. When I was a little boy, and we had no real perspective on money, you know, whenever something cost a lot or we wanted to make reference to anything being a lot, we just say, oh, man, that's worth a million dollars. Oh, that cost a million dollars. I bet you a million dollars. Because that was just a figure of so much money that we just couldn't fathom. And what Philip says is, Lord, if we had a million dollars, we couldn't feed all these people. There's no way. Philip says, Lord, there's no way we can feed all these people. Here's the point, beloved. Don't miss this. Jesus and Philip looked at the same thing and saw differences at the same time. Jesus and Philip looked at the same thing and saw different things at the same time. What did Philip see? Philip looked out on the crowd and he saw a problem. He saw a mountain that couldn't be moved. He saw a river that couldn't be crossed. He saw a hurt that couldn't be healed. He saw an emptiness that couldn't be filled. Philip was looking with the eyes of his head and all he could see was the problem, the impossibility. But in the kingdom of God, God teaches and calls upon his people to learn to look, not rest with the eyes of our heads, but to look with the eyes of our hearts with the eyes of faith so that we learn to see as Jesus sees. For Jesus sees what we typically don't see. When Jesus looked out on the crowd, he didn't see a problem. He saw an opportunity. He saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw lost sheep. He saw hungry sheep. And when he looks at your life this morning, beloved, he doesn't see problems. He sees opportunities. He sees mountains that are ready to be moved. He sees rivers that are set to be crossed. He sees hurts he's preparing to heal. He sees hearts 
that he's ready to fill. He knows. He knows what we don't know. Because he knows the answer to the question, Philip. Because he's the answer to the question. He knows. He knows the answers to all of our questions. As the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows your life. He knows what your life was. He knows what your life is. He knows what your life is going to be. Christ knows, beloved. That's why God is not pressed. Your worry doesn't worry heaven. It doesn't. Because Christ knows. That's why God asked the question. He asked the rhetorical question, Genesis chapter 11, I mean Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, right? Is there anything too hard for God? He don't need you to answer that question. Is there anything too hard for God? Feeding 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee or pandemic around the world. Is there anything too hard for God? Social unrest in the streets or division and unrest in your home. Is there anything too hard for God? Listen, beloved. You are not bringing a problem this morning for which the Lord doesn't already have a plan. He's already got a plan. He tells, uh, the Bible says that Christ already knew what he was going to do. He's already got a plan. He's already got a plan. Christ knows this world. He's already got a plan. Christ knows your life. He already has a plan. He has a plan for this world. He has a plan for your life. That's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to know something this morning. The Lord says, I want you to know that you can either focus and look to me or you can focus and look to your problems. I hope we pray this morning. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see what you see. Open the eyes of my heart this morning. I want to hear what you say. I want to say what you say. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to kingdom lesson this morning. The Lord Christ 
already know what he's talking about. Trust him. Trust him. Look not upon your problems, but trust the Lord. He has a plan. And his plan that day was for a kingdom launch. And in response to Jesus, right, Jesus says, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Philip said, Lord, we got a million dollars. We can feed these people. And Andrew overheard that, and he jumps in. He chimes in. In verse 8, right? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up and said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? In other words, he says, Lord, Lord, it's not that we don't have anything. It's just that what we have is so little. Now, beloved, it took me a while. It took me a while to get on the mission. Dear God, I can't tell you how many times that I have prayed, Lord, it's not that we don't have anything. It's just that we have so little. We are so small. What, what can we possibly do? And I think, beloved, this really is getting to the heart of the matter this morning. The two things that we learn right here that are crucial to kingdom living. And the first one is this, that eating in the kingdom is by faith. Beloved, eating in the kingdom is by faith. I understand. I understand what Andrew was saying because I understand what that young boy had. That young boy had enough lunch for that day. And he only had enough for him. I've been there. I remember going to work every day and my lunch was basically the same. A can of tuna and some crackers. And a can of tuna and some crackers was all I had for that day. And it was only enough for me. Question. How are we to feed thousands and thousands of people with a can of tuna? Answer, in the kingdom of God, a little 
is a lot. Did you hear what I said? In the kingdom of God, a little is a lot. God uses the least to do the most. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, he says that your weakness is his strength. Your weakness is his strength. Your little is his lot. He does the most with the least. Out of the dust of the earth, he made man and woman. Weakness into strength. With a shepherd's stick, Moses brought Egypt to its knees. Weakness into strength. With that little boy slingshot, David conquered the Goliath. Weakness into strength. And on a shameful and rugged cross, Christ brought redemption and salvation to the world. Weakness into strength. It is not, beloved, your talent as much as it is your faith that the Lord uses this thing. In Christ, in Christ, the Bible tells us that a little faith goes a long, long And so greatness in the kingdom of God, contrary to what the world says, greatness in the kingdom of God is not about ability. Greatness in the kingdom is about availability. What little, what little do you have? Jesus says in Luke 17 and 6 that all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. In other words, all you need is a can of tuna. And we all got a can of tuna. We all got a can of tuna. Offer the Lord your can of tuna and see what the Lord does with it. Because eating is eating, eating, eating in the kingdom is by faith. But not only is it by faith, eating in the kingdom is by faith. It's by grace, beloved. It's by grace. And this lunch was by grace. Notice what it says in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them to those who were seated. Jesus gave thanks to remind them from which the help always comes. It's by grace. It's by grace. This is what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. That we are to give thanks for everything. Everything, beloved, because in the kingdom, everything is by grace. And we are to give thanks for everything. This meal, the meal you are about to receive is undeserved. 
But not only is it undeserved, it is unearned in any way. All you did was be there. All you did was be there. But the Bible says, asks a series of questions, doesn't it? First Corinthians chapter four, and verse seven. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why do you boast as if it wasn't, as if it was not a gift? I don't know about you this morning, beloved. I am, I am amazed and I am sometimes ashamed and embarrassed about my selfishness and my pride and my impatience and my ungratefulness in the light of God's grace and mercy in my life. Grace should cause you to be gracious. More grace should cause you to be more gracious. And those of us who have received the most grace should be the most gracious. And I'm telling you, I can say for a surety that no one has received more grace than me this morning. That's why coming to the Lord's table weekly is so important for us, for it reminds us of our need for grace, but then it reminds us of our calling to be gracious. mean, unloving, ungracious Christians. Beloved, this should not be a thing. This meal that Jesus gave, that he gave thanks for, this meal was by grace, not only because Jesus gave thanks, but also because of the posture of those invited to eat. Notice what the Bible does, what the Bible says in verses 10 and 11. Three times, three times it gives us the posture of those who were invited to eat. Jesus says, tell them all to sit down. And then, and then it says, so the men sat down. And then it says, Jesus distributed to those who were what? Seated. You know why you have to sit down, beloved? Because those who worry can't sit still. Those who are in a hurry Don't sit down. But in the kingdom of God, Christ comes and says, sit down. Sit down. You don't have to worry. You don't have to hurry. In the kingdom of God, be still. 
be still and know, the psalmist says in Psalm 46 and 10, that I am God. Be still and behold your salvation. Be still and know that the Lord himself will provide. Be still and know that his grace is sufficient. Be still and know that his grace is enough. The Lord told them, all those people, sit down. This is coming by grace from heaven. And it's for you. Be still. Be still and know. He is God. Don't hurry. Don't worry. Be still. Know that his grace is sufficient. Know that his grace is enough. It's enough. It's enough. In fact, Jesus reminds us this morning and tomorrow. This morning, how do we know? Because of all the kingdom lessons. All, all the kingdom lessons. What the disciples thought was too little with Jesus, it became more than enough. More than enough. When they had, the Bible says in verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had You know what this meal does, beloved? It doesn't just point us to grace, but it points us to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, to this abundant grace, the abundant grace of God. It is this abundant grace that saves. It is this abundant grace that satisfies. 5,000 plus. And none were left wanting. All were filled. They gathered 12 baskets full of the leftover bread. There was more left over than what they started with. This is the nature of amazing grace. This is what we call abundant grace. Grace doesn't just save you, beloved. It satisfies you. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? The Lord calls you to him not just to save you from your sin, but then he's going to satisfy your heart. 
He's going to fill your heart. He's going to fill you up. And he's going to satisfy you. Feed you. Till you want no more. He's going to overflow your cup. Can I give a little testimony this morning? Pardon, pardon my testimony this morning. But I've tried many things in my life, beloved. I know you can't, believe me, you, you can't tell. But Pastor Phil, I've been there, done that. Scott, I've been, I've been in all of it. I've tried many things in my life. Education, popularity, sports and athletics. I was the life of the party. I've been with the Democratic Party. I've been with the Republican Party. I've been with the Independents. I've tried black nationalism and spiritualism and religion. I've tried self-help, motivation. I've fought a Les Brown and Tony Robbins both. I did drugs and sex, hip-hop and rock and roll. And beloved, believe me, I ate well from those plates, but I was still hungry. Why? Why was I hungry, beloved? Because all those things were just enough. Just enough for the night. Just enough for the week. Just enough for the season. Nothing helped me until Jesus helped me. Nothing saved me until Jesus saved me. Nothing satisfied me until Jesus satisfied me. And when Jesus came to me, beloved, he was not just enough. He was and he continues to be more than enough. More than enough. Listen, beloved, you don't run out of what Jesus provides. When Jesus starts pouring the wine of his grace, it doesn't run out. When he starts serving the bread of his mercy, it doesn't run out. That's what the Bible says in Psalms 103 and 8. He is abiding mercy. He is abounding love. You can't outrun his mercy. And you know what, beloved? You cannot out-eat his grace. Why? Because the songwriter is right. He giveth more grace. When burdens grow greater, he sendeth more strength. When labors increase to added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches of Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. kingdom of God look this morning. Why this meal meant so much? This is why all four gospel writers included it. This is why so many continue to talk about it. This is why I wish I had been there. It's just a reminder this morning. 
at the Lord. Fill our hearts. It reminds me that when I eat with Jesus, I get full. I get satisfied. I get happy. I am overcoming. Oh, beloved, listen to me this morning. The Lord isn't just saving his people. He is satisfying his people. You can be saved today, but also even now, as the kingdom is coming, you can be satisfied with Jesus, with the promise that the kingdom that comes offers eternal satisfaction and treasures forevermore with Jesus. As you look to Jesus, oh, I pray the Lord would open the eyes of your heart and that you would see Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart.